0: Amber Schultz is my guest today. Amber grew up in a fundamental church environment where her father was a pastor. Even though he was charismatic and congregation after congregation readily accepted him, no questions asked, Amber eventually saw the truth of who he really was. That plus a legalistic, performance-based theological belief system is all she knew, Until, as an adult, she began to compare what she had been taught with the Jesus of the Bible. One of the reasons I wanted Amber to tell her story is because it's actually surprisingly common. Abusive leaders within churches and religious institutions is actually a problem. In fact, of the top five professions that abusive men choose, ministry is listed among them. It allows one to have control over vulnerable, trusting people often with little accountability. Though biblically, we see the Apostle Paul regularly trying to protect churches from false teachers and predators. Qualifications for pastors are clear. Character matters. More valuable than any internal sense of calling, quote-unquote, that they have. More than charisma, more than skill. A pastor or church leader, according to Scripture, is to be holy. Many people with church hurt and confusion grow up to walk away from Jesus, their perspective ever tainted from the lies and abuse they endured. However, for Amber, her journey ends a little differently. Here is her story.
1: I was um, born into a family where my dad um, had been previously married and divorced and had two children outside of um, our ma- outside of the marriage he currently was in from my earliest memory I remember that we were told that we could not talk anything about my dad being married before because in the church divorce was a big no-no and so if the fact he was claiming to be called to preach and called the pastor um, he was like we can't tell anyone or I'm never going to be able to do this so uh, we were ingrained from day one, like from the, my earliest memory that we are protecting my dad's testimony and my dad's call to preach by telling these lies, essentially. Yeah. Secrecy, secrecy major, major secrecy. And, um, my dad is also very much a narcissist. And so he very much thrived in the church environment we were in because it was very patriarchal. You know, the man dictated everything. We were to be in total submission. The higher you were in the church, the more respect Mm. you had, the more people submitted to you. And so he always had these massive ideas of grandeur for himself that he was going to, you know, lead 10,000 people to the Lord and have these big churches and have all of these things. Yeah. So he wasn't trying to be faithful necessarily
0: with like a small congregation. He was trying to make a name for himself.
1: Yes. Hmm. Yes. And any crack in the veneer would, he would drop that ministry and move on to the next one. Hmm. Um, So we moved around a lot. So my dad would tell churches that we were um, missionaries or we were evangelists. So we were we moved all over the place. We were missionaries to Mexico for a little bit. We were in Montana. We went to Canada. We went like everywhere. Oh, wow. Um, and what he was really doing behind the scenes was he was actually conning people and writing bad checks, and he was avoiding child support. So he would move us around so the police couldn't find him. Mm so that was kind of like the background of what I grew up in. Like, like this is like the setting we're conditioned to lie and to be very upfront with, we're a perfect family. Mm. There's no cracks in the veneer because if there was ever any time we broke from that, it became very abusive. Mm. So um, from the earliest thing I can remember, it was a very, we were very performance based. Like The only time you would get love and acceptance is if you performed, Mm -hmm. which is very um, similar to um, the church belief system we had, which is as long as you perform in this way, God loves you. Mm, So it was kind of compounded in like a full circle between home and church life. And um, along the same lines of the physical and the emotional abuse, the spiritual abuse, there was also a sexual abuse component. In that. Right. And that um, and from my earliest memory is four. And um, of course, with purity culture, things like that, you're, you're told you're broken, you're dirty, you're rotten if you have these sexual impurities. But as a kid, you have no control over it. So mm. I became even more so hyper performative to become the best in the most well versed, I was going to make everyone proud. I was going to be like this perfect Christian on the outside to try to make up for all the broken things that were on the inside. Hmm. So, and um, it was pretty much that way. My entire, you know, elementary high school, um, high school hit and I finally started getting a voice for myself because I was basically the mediator between my dad and my mom in their relationship okay. and I was like I'm not, I, I don't want to do this anymore and I threatened to call the cops on my dad like it was like a whole thing and he gave me the silent treatment for about two months or so um and after that it was no longer physical abuse but there was still mental abuse and spiritual abuse that kind of came along that I was rebellious I was a Jezebel
0: there's like a whole a whole thing there sure oh my goodness how old were you cuz you said when you got to high school you kind of started getting a voice so how old were you when you began to realize that this home dynamic was it normal wasn't healthy wasn't good all that
1: um i would think i think the first time it clicked that it wasn't normal i was probably about 13
0: mm.
1: okay um and normal teenage angst, you know, like the hormones and all the things going on. And of course we're told that all these things we need to like squash and die to self. And we, it's all selfish whenever you can't help that you're a hormonal teenager, you know? Yes. And, um, I had a crush on on a guy and I wrote about it in my diary and they broke into my diary and read it. And then I got punished for what was in my diary. That's
0: insane. I'm so sorry. The invasion of privacy, like they, mm -hmm. I see the, sorry to interrupt. I was going to say this real quick. Um, Mm -hmm. I see this a lot in, in dynamics such as the, your family dynamic when you were younger is they want you to protect them, right? The abuser wants you to be secretive, you to protect them, but they are not going to ever honor your privacy or your secrets, or You know, they, they feel like they're entitled Mm -hmm. to Yes. own you in every way even your thoughts like your diary is your personal thoughts like you should be able to freely write in that like that is just such an invasion of privacy that I think people don't appreciate uh mm-hmm. and just the double standard. so I'm sorry that 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 happened that would be super embarrassing uh it was. somebody it was, had done that
1: to it me. was it was very devastating because then I felt like my only safe space was then taken from me so then I no mm. longer had an outlet yeah. and so um it was pretty rough but by by the age of I think it was 1920 right around there my dad got a whim that he was going to go start another church out in montana and i was like i'm not doing this anymore i can't do this anymore so i moved out
0: mm. and
1: um, which is a big no-no because i'm not i wasn't dating anyone i wasn't going to get married anytime soon and it was a massive deal that I was going to be no longer under my father's headship and I was going to be on my own.
0: And so. How old would you have been at this point approximately? I was
1: 19, 20, right around in there.
0: Yeah. So you're a legal adult, but mm-hmm. it's a big deal because, uh, in their eyes, because it's like, well, you have to have a man over you. Yes.
1: Yep. And I remember going to the church. I was going to the same type of church after I moved out because that's all I knew right Mm -hmm. and everything else was bad so I kept going to this particular type of church and the youth pastors would say from the pulpit you know if a woman is you know not living at home and she's working a job and she's not under the headship of her father do not touch her with a 10-foot pole you you single young men you you know that type of thing because she's out of God's will
0: Oh and
1: and I'm sitting there going, uh, you're literally only talking about me <laughs> because I'm the only person in this church that is wow, fitting that description. Um, and on the what's crazy is also on the same or on the flip side of that, the youth pastor at this church was actually actively grooming me <gasps> um, in his home because I play the piano. I've played the piano since I was nine and I'm self-taught, so I play by ear, so I pick up music very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so he would have me come over, and, and so I've always been involved, very involved musically in churches. Right. And um he would have me come over because with his wife there because you know, had to be proper, but he would take me into the basement and just be very grooming it never like moved past like the the early grooming stages because I left the church before it went too mm. far. but um but
0: yeah, the that activity was very much there. Oh my goodness. Yeah, prepping you. Yeah, yeah. cuz it's it's a it's a slow fade cuz I think people realize that now but just to like reiterate like it's not like you meet someone and the next day they start abusing you. It is exactly. a slow pushing of boundaries. Um, sorry there are dogs barking. I said this would happen. No, you're fine. So, uh, you're we're fine. going to keep going. Um, it's a slow pushing of boundaries. It's a slow like manipulation Yeah, it's just a slow pushing of boundaries until Mm -hmm. eventually you are in full-fledged, you know, sexual abuse or whatever the case may be. And unfortunately, I heard you say that you had already gone through this at home. Mm -hmm. And so did you realize what was happening at the time or you just happened to leave the church regardless and didn't really realize you were being groomed?
1: I didn't realize it at the time. Um, I left the church regardless. I actually ended up moving cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just wasn't feasible for me to go to that church anymore, just for time wise. And so I, I moved. So I just so happened to have moved at the,
0: at the right time. Good, kind well. of thing. will praise so. the Lord for that. So yes. Can I ask you a few questions real quick? Absolutely. Um, so the dynamic that you've described with the, the church that you were a part of and your dad and, and you guys moving around a lot, was it, um, common, Cause this is showing some of my ignorance cause I didn't quite grow up in the exact same, uh, you know, denomination as you, but was your dad like an actual pastor pastor, like with a local flock or did he kind of do like this travel preaching? Does that make sense? Like where he's like a guest speaker at a revival mm-hmm. or did he actually have like, a, you know what I'm saying? Was he actually a yeah. local church pastor or was he more of a yes. preacher, which I've seen where I'm from, like traveling preachers. So he did
1: both. Actually, he has had both a church where he was the past, like the hired-in pastor, um, and he's also evangelized, which is the traveling preacher. Um, and so what he would do is he'd be like, we ch- but he would call himself a church planter. Right. So we could he could go and he could be the pastor of a local body for an X amount of time, and if he just decided to leave then he could say, oh, well, God's calling me away. My job here is done. I can go move on now to plant another church.
0: That is just so like contrary to scripture where we see that pastors are supposed to be really chosen by the local congregation Mm -hmm. based on their character, based on, Mm -hmm. you know, exhibiting godly, well, character. It's so much less about any skill, quote unquote, you know, yep. you are supposed to be able to teach, but that's the only skill mentioned in those passages. Uh, the mm-hmm. rest are godly living. And, uh, yeah, it's just crazy that he was able just to come in and say, oh, this is who I am. And they gave him the keys to the kingdom.
1: Oh, man, he is so charismatic, though. He, mm. um, if he in one spot, he would have been a cult leader, like a straight up, like, jim jones level Mm. cult leader i that that's the type of drawn in personality he has he's very funny he's very kind he's very i will give Mm. you the shirt on my back you call me in the middle of the night i will be there but it's all for that show and so and he just could not keep up that show or things would catch up to him and he would have to leave um like he military for like 20 something years again it's like the 70s and 80s so nobody can find you that easily and Mm. um he got picked up from the church that he was a local pastor of in montana taken all the way to wherever they i think it's somewhere in washington and he was like hey yeah the recruiter lied about my birth my birthday so i technically shouldn't have been in the military anyway and they just let him go
0: Mm. always got his way out of things Mm -hmm. yeah always Yeah. Very manipulative. And
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. Oh man. Um, Did anyone ever suspect anything was off with him that you know of?
1: I don't know. Not that I'm aware of. I know as I got older, um, some people were starting to catch on like later in high school, Mm -hmm. but what he would do is he would pull the, well, I'm forgiven. That was me in the past. Um, you know, God has forgiven me. You need to forgive me too, you know, and you turn it into a repentance type story. And, um, so then people would, of course, because we're trained to, okay, well, God's forgiven him. We got to forgive too, which means we also have to bring people back in open arms kind of thing, you know, which is so dangerous. And so he was still able to, he was not able to no one caught on to him until i was 25 26 that was the last time he pastored a church so it's been okay, about ten good.
0: years i'm glad that yes. he, he's not actively pastoring cuz i might would have to no he
1: is he is teaching he, <laughs> teach calls. sunday school right he <laughs> does still teach sunday school or teach bible classes because um my parents divorced about 6 years ago finally my mom got away from all of that and i'm so proud of her mhm um mm-hmm. Um, but he went into, um, went around people who, who still believe everything that he says. And he is like, Well, I can't be a pastor because I'm divorced because like, he can't hide that anymore. But <laughs> I can still teach and I can still evangelize if I need to, type of thing.
0: I'll say this um, it is so common and it just kills me. It is so common for a pastor or youth leader or someone that is used to having authority in a church-like setting. It is so Mm -hmm. common for even when they've been exposed for who they Mm -hmm. really are, or at least a glimpse, maybe not fully who they Mm -hmm. are has been exposed, but enough of a glimpse of who they really are that it should cause concern. Yet they just will not step down from ministry. They, they insist on let, well, let me teach Sunday school. Let me do this. Let me do that. I just wish exactly that. They- <laughs> exactly that. <sighs> I wish they would just sit down. Yeah. Go to church. Be, you know, uh repentant. Like you can still follow the Lord. God can still forgive you, but just sit down. Stop trying to be yes. the center of attention. Stop trying to have power. Stop trying to have authority. Stop trying, you know, to be yes. revered or liked. Like just it's just so telling. They never just sit down. <laughs> they never just... No, no, they don't. And my they dad never. would
1: always use the verse, the gift and callings of God are without, a, without repentance. And that comes back to the fact that the qualifications of being a pastor, there's nothing mentioned about being called to, to the ministry. You just have this qualification to do so. And, but he would use that. Well, God has called me and he does not repent from that.
0: So yes. I must
1: continue doing this work.
0: It's and, so crazy because that verse is about salvation, but continue. Yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> I'm like, if we want to cherry pick verses here, we can. Okay, what about right. fathers don't provoke your children to wrath? but right. <laughs> let's not talk about that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, because right. I've
1: been angry plenty of times. So mm, I'm so yeah, sorry. It's 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 really sad because it's not, and the more that I'm moving away from that this particular strain of faith um the more i see that it is just majority abusive men in power with and that's the majority of the people that are in the churches is just the abusive men that are in power there are exceptions to the rule there have been a few churches that have really decent people in them and have no you know i don't have any issues with them i don't agree with them theologically but to me, I don't have to agree with you theologically. Just don't be a, an abuser and a, a right. butthole. A <laughs> <So. laughs> Yes. <laughs> so um, about not long after I moved out, I started dating my husband. Um, and we knew pretty early on that we were going to get married. So in typical church fashion in the world that we were in, we were married within a year of dating. Um, mm-hmm. And so we I think we dated for like five months. And then we were engaged for like seven months, somewhere in there. Um, And within the first eight months of our marriage, we both lost our jobs. They outsourced our, our job um, out of country and laid us all off. So my husband decided Mm -hmm. he was going to join the military. Um, And neither one of us had a clue what we were getting into. Like none. We were both so sheltered. We went to Christian schools or we were homeschooled. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was crazy. So he got stationed in Germany Um, my husband deployed, um, within six months of me getting there, he went to Afghanistan and he was there for a year Mm. and he came back with really severe PTSD and he was suicidal Mm. and we were told you need to pray about it. You need to seek Jesus. He is the only answer to this and that did not help in reality at all. Right. Um, he ended up having to be institutionalized, um, for a time and a short time but he was still there and it became that was probably the cat, like the main the biggest thing that really changed my outlook on faith was the whole situation with his mental health because Mm. mental health help is not a thing in this particular christianity right and if we had followed what we were told to do he would not be here
0: right i'm so sorry And it would have ended up still you with you guys probably taking the blame. Well, you didn't have enough faith or yes. And I know that how how suicide is viewed in a lot of these Mm -hmm. type of denominations, it's viewed as, well, you're obviously going to hell. And so that would have just compounded the hurt. And so I'm glad that that is not the end of y'all's story. Um, But that is important for you to say that if you had followed what they had told you, it would not have ended well. And yet it still would have been put on you as your fault, which just destroys Mm -hmm. people. And their view of God is so, so twisted and distorted because of what they've been told. Exactly. And
1: I was told I was, and I was actually made to blame because he had an attempt. Whenever I found him, I was told I should have been more watchful. I should have been more observant. I should have been more prayerful. I should have been all of these things. And I'm like, I wasn't equipped for this. No Mm. one talks about mental health issues. No one talks about depression and anxiety and substance abuse. And unless you're just talking about it as an us versus them, you don't talk Mm. about it as a, this is my personal issue and I'm struggling with it.
0: Right. Like Christians deal with this too. Yes,
1: exactly. And whenever we, we were like, okay, he has to be on medication. Everyone panicked. He's going to be drugged out of his mind. He's going to be Mm. a vegetable. And I'm like, if he's alive, he's alive. That's literally what
0: I was going to say. Well, he's alive, so I'll take it. I'll
1: take it. I will take it. I will do, I will do, I can deal with it. I mean, I didn't have any other choice but deal with it, but I dealt with it, you know? And it was a very lonely road um, Mm. trying to navigate issues with mental health. And on top of that, realizing that I have, my own massive amount of issues and getting into therapy myself and starting to finally get treatment for myself. Cause I realized I could not help him cause I was not okay either. Right. And so getting therapy and getting on a medication is really what helped kind of recalibrate my brain enough to go, okay, this stuff is not okay. But so let's start evaluating everything I've been taught And it's been put in front of me my entire life to see what is really of God and what is not. And it's not an, it was not an overnight process. Like this is from from the time that he came back into now, it's been 13 years, 12 years. And so for 12 years, I've been working on this like hardcore Mm -hmm. and I'm still working things out it's like the craziest thing and so i started going to scripture and looking at you know what does jesus really say about this and that was like the turning point for me it mm-hmm. was making it was learning the character of jesus himself trying to understand christ as he was on the earth and so i'm like how did he live mm-hmm. how did he minister to people how did he hold himself while he was here and the thing that kept coming mm-hmm. up to me was love, service, love, service, mm-hmm. love, service, non judgment, love, service, non judgment. Like it was like this thing that was like this constant cycle, mm-hmm. and it started helping me separate the fact that the God I was taught about was a narcissistic, per- it was a na- narcissistic entity that wanted all dominion, all control. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to perform, you have to mm-hmm. do all these things, but that was an interpretation for people to then control. Cause I'm, I'm, I am a, a massive, a, I have a massive obsession with cults. I mm-hmm. have a massive obsession with history. Mm-hmm. And so like studying out cults and studying out different aspects of history, I started seeing these patterns emerge mm-hmm. where the church that God wanted for, wanted for himself is not the church that we have now, not at all. Mm. It's um and it's very similar to me as the Catholic Church was during the like prior to the reformation yes. where they held all power all authority they held the only interpretation of scripture um yeah. anything that made waves against that was heresy demonic evil and i'm like well how's it any different than this particular faith that i have that only believes in one version of the bible that can only be in english Oh, and you yeah. have to perform it this certain type of way. I'm like, that's not of Christ. Right. And so I was starting, I was started uh, I'm stumbling. <laughs> I was able to start to see that the God who really is, is a totally separate entity and being than the per than the one I was taught about and who is being represented in his church and who's supposed to be his church mm-hmm. because church is, is has been built to be an institution it's run as a business i've been in ministry long enough to know how they music ministry especially you're taught how to manipulate the service through music you mm. manipulate people's emotions through music that's how you you play a certain way during invitation to draw to pull on people's heartstrings to get them in the altar um and the same manipulation tactics whenever it comes to how pastors do the, you know, call to action at the end of services for altar calls, you know, going, are you really sure? Are you really sure? let you know, like there's like a, they intentionally implant doubt.
0: Which shows and, me that like, they don't even believe the gospel. And I hate right. to say that, but like, if you, why are you having to try so hard to get people to be Christians? If you believe that God is the one that changes the heart then mm-hmm. why are you having to make sure that they are vulnerable and weak and yes. emotional when they make a decision? Why are you trying to manipulate and control them? It sounds mm-hmm. to me like you're trying to get numbers. Like you're trying to, again, build yes. your kingdom, get your fame instead of God's. Yes. It just shows me like you don't really even believe it no. when push it's comes to show numbers.
1: Yeah. It's all about the numbers in this show because you know, they're like, they really want to be like the church in acts where they like 3000 souls were added in one day. And I'm like, that's not how God works. God works on a very individual basis. Mm -hmm. And um, realizing that church has become institutionalized and realizing that God made me as a human. He understands my humanity. He understands the life I have been through, all the trauma I've gone through. Mm -hmm. He understands... That I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be have all of these vast array of emotions because he created me to be this way, right? That the it was like two totally different entities to 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 look at. Because you know, in in Christianity, we're not we're you know you're supposed to be joyful all the time. You cannot complain. You can't can't have <sighs> negative thoughts. You have to police your thoughts at all times. And when goodness, I the whole time.
0: Have you ever God read is, the Psalms? yes
1: and i'm like but if you go over here look at david he's like god kill me under a rock and let me just die and i'm like yes. you know what i feel that david i do i like i want to just go die under a rock sometimes too yeah you know and god still called him god called david a man after his own heart who murdered and raped a woman right. and and did all of these bad things and god still loved him enough to call him you know a person after his own heart and i'm like if god can do that with david why, why is it wrong for me to be emotional and be a human as, mm. and I'm just kind of like, I'm just kind of like telling my thought process as I'm kind of going through all of this. Absolutely. And so, and so that changed, it shifted everything. So there was a time, probably a good t- amount of time that we could not go to church because my husband's PTSD. Sure. Like we could not leave the house at Absolutely. All. That's common. And, mm-hmm. and it's very common. And so we were not in a church every single week. Which of course, people were berating us. You need to be in church. That's where <sighs> he's going to get help. And I'm like, it's not possible. We're like, right. you can't have a relationship with God unless you're in church. And I'm like, but yeah. I am. Hmm. And that and that was it. Is like I realized, um, my relationship was actually stronger outside of the church than it was in. Sure. And um, once we were able to start going back to church, I started seeing identical markers as in the cult documentaries or in other churches that they were doing the exact same things they were they were cutting out critical thinking they were making they were causing you to lose your autonomy Mm -hmm. they were you know it was ultimate um you have to believe everything comes out of this person's mouth even though they may say you know the bible's the final authority really what they're saying is my interpretation of the bible is the final authority
0: Yes. I want to just say really quickly that this just has struck me the last year. I've really just meditated on this. You know, when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness with, Mm -hmm. you know, Satan, Satan quotes scripture to him correctly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Jesus combats that with the, with other scriptures that I don't want to say Trump those scriptures, but it just goes to show that there is a way to actually you know, legitimately quote scripture, right? Not change it, not, you know, whatever, and still be very demonic and satanic to be wrong. You know, there were so many times that Jesus corrected the Pharisees. Have you not read? Well, of course they had read, but they were using it wrongly. So there is a Mm -hmm. way to wrongly interpret scripture. There is a way to do that. And so, like you said, they're saying, well, the Bible is the final authority, but what, what they're actually saying is my interpretation of the Bible is the final authority. And Mm -hmm. so you're taking the power and the authority away from God and putting it on man, which, again, is very cult-like and breeds environment of control and things like that. And so um, before I forget, Amber, I'd like to ask, what advice do you have for someone who may be listening and realizes that they are currently in or have been in a religiously abusive dynamic or environment? What would you say to them?
1: Um, definitely that you are not alone in how you
0: feel. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and it may seem very scary to start pulling away from that and, and take it at your own pace. But there is a whole community out here on the other side that understands and loves you and accepts you for Mm -hmm. whatever process in this journey you're on and whether your journey ends in still in the faith or not in the faith that doesn't even matter. What we what matters is you being safe and healthy and in a, in a good environment and, you know, have a good spiritual journey, that Mm -hmm. type of thing.
0: Awesome. Thank you. What are some, uh, and some of these we've already talked about, but maybe just let's restate them. What are some red flags of an abusive church or an abusive church environment? We've talked about control Uh, Mm -hmm. shame guilt what else would you add just so people can kind of evaluate is this something I'm in or have been in or am I contributing to this you know in my own church am I contributing to an abusive environment so what are some red flags of an abusive religious environment
1: um lack of outreach or outreach to the community with strings attached
0: okay what Um, do you what do you mean by that
1: so lack of outreach meaning that they do not want to go out into the community unless it is beneficial for them, as in they're going to be bringing numbers into the church. Mm. Um, like, oh, let's go do a um, let's go feed the homeless on Saturday, and let's take all these tracks and make sure we give everybody these tracks. And but if nobody shows up on Sunday, we're not going back.
0: I never thought go, about that. Thank you for saying that. Or let's go
1: and door knock. And let's talk to these people about, you know, their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then never go see them again. Okay. Um, I actually have a um, a video coming out next month about lifestyle evangelism, where I actually talk about this, how it's so dangerous that we do not take the time. And, and, and this is along the same vein. We don't take the time to actually get to know people individu- individually. And so there's never a moment in our in, in this evangelism that strings are not attached. And we have to mm. try to learn how to separate that um and a lot of times the the goal of the outreach is to then conform the person into whatever is going on inside that church so like say they have tattoos or they drink or they have they wear pants if they're women um you have to then clean up before you come into the church so there's like a
0: whole whole thing there OK, thank you for saying that. I'd never thought about that. But yes, lack of outreach into the community or if you do it, it's with the goal of getting them in the church to conform to mm-hmm. who the church is, not just trying to serve them and love them and get to know them individually. But let's grow our numbers. Yes. OK, gotcha. What else? What are some other red flags?
1: Um. Let's see. I would also say um, isolation. If you get into a church that every single thing that if every resource that you possibly could ever need is inside that church, like you have, everyone uses the church plumber, everyone uses the church electrician, everyone uses the church hairdresser, which I'm not saying individually they're bad. But what it does is it sets a community where you fully 100% rely on this community. So Mm. if you ever decide to leave, you not only lose a body of people. Are, that are supposed to be your family and your friends because that does happen as soon as you leave you're cut off mm. you also lose your plumber your electrician your lawyer your doctor your whatever um, and i've seen this happen multiple times and this happened to my husband and i like we lost all of that and we're like literally just sitting out in the ether like by yourself going i have no resources now i don't mm. have someone i can call if this i don't know who to call now if this happens or if this happens Um, so completely isolating you inside, inside like a type of community and making it very much an us versus them. We are the Mm. only right church body, the world and everyone outside of this church body is evil and wrong.
0: And Mm. that usually kind
1: of goes hand in hand. Um, loss of autonomy. Um, your body is no longer your own. Um, your time is not worth anything but ministry hours. Mm. Um, you which I think that is very, I mean, I don't have any issue with volunteering. I think volunteering is a very good thing. I think it's a good thing to teach our kids to do. But churches, in my experience, very much take advantage of that. Like, okay, you're going to basically work a 40 hour week job for free.
0: Oof, yeah.
1: Um, or you're going to put all this time. I've done, I've done music for churches for 20 years almost because I've been playing for a really long time. Right. um and maybe not 20 years i'm not that old one <laughs> on, 15 years 15 okay. years or so and um i have put i've done youth choirs i've done adult choirs i have done christmas programs i've done all of these things and it's all been free mm-hmm. because it wasn't until like the church that we recently just left um I, was, I have ever been paid on staff as a position because i'm female and i'm doing music but I put it would put put in countless hours of ministry hours in every week. Um and but you also lose your autonomy with um inside your own marriages, inside mm-hmm. of relationships, um, you know, your all of your loyalty and all the things come at your own self-sacrifice to the church and to the ministries of the church and to the pastor ultimately.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, so last question. Why tell your story and speak out about these things? Because
1: I do not want people to feel alone in their journey.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, Especially those who choose to stay in the faith. I follow, um, I follow a lot of people on social media um, and they've all been so helpful in my deconstruction or my evolution, whatever you want to call it. But majority of them are atheists or they're Christians and now they're atheists, which is totally fine. I completely respect how people end their journey or however right. they get to it.
0: Right. But
1: I've not really found a lot of people who, especially females who are still very much in their faith. Yeah. And they still hold true to what they believe in their core values. And I want people to see that all of these bad things can happen and these bad things are horrible and we have every right to call every bit of this out. But there is still a loving God, if you choose to believe, that is nothing like what we were taught. Right. And there is a whole community out here of people who love you and accept you who's not and they're nothing like the people we came from. And there is a place to thrive and there's a place to grow and you don't have to do it by yourself.
0: Mm, absolutely. Very well said. Very well said. Amber has a YouTube page called Fundy Freed. She also is active on social media such as Facebook and TikTok. And she regularly addresses issues like we spoke about today. And she also tells parts of her story frequently. I would encourage you to listen to her and learn from her. Thank you.